from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 112, 112 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing okay. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. So you, did you recover from the big week last week of of the D- Dreams Unlimited's 20th anniversary, you were busy. I was very busy. I, I feel like I've slightly recovered. Uh, if if you were lucky enough to, to attend the event, then uh, chances are you met me and, and know how uh, how run down I was and how, uh, you know, this wasn't like Galaxy's Edge uh, bad, but this was just... It, it, it felt like there was never enough sleep this entire mm-hmm. week. And the auction room that we were in was kept at a constant uh, 20 degrees. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying that in Celsius. It was, I believe that was 20 degrees Fahrenheit. And so it just, the chain, and then you walk outside and it, basically the entire week, it was feels like in the hundreds like low to mid hundreds so uh it was just a really really brutal uh brutal brutal little time but you know so many uh so many awesome people came down for it and in order to celebrate dreams 20th anniversary with us we raised uh it's I, the last number i actually heard um just very recently is somewhere over eighty six thousand dollars wow for give kids the world uh, it's so just a, a smashing success in in every way for us and like i said the people made it amazing the events were fun pandora was an awesome time uh just just really really good stuff so thank you to everyone out there who who participated and and you know helped help make this event successful and yeah absolutely yeah and it's not you know it's not many um it's it's not many shows or anything where you know they rent out a section of a theme park but the Diz does that continuously <laughs> so, I, yeah very, very impressive very impressive and you both you and i had auction items you and rhino yours did really well your event yeah so you, lots to live up do- to you're going to be doing a lot of heavy drinking. No. You do your drinks around the world or whatever you're doing. Drinks around the world, Walt Disney World. It, it's some, somewhere. Somewhere. It's um, just, I mean, it'll be fun. It'll be a good time. Yeah, I, I think know. it will be yeah. a good time. So. <laughs> and then, of course, I gave away uh, you know, a, a tour of the Walt Disney Family Museum for two people along with lunch. And that did that did very well, too. I was very happy. And so I'm looking forward to scheduling that with um, our listeners who um, who, who won that. So um, that was great. Yeah, I'll no. To, I'll have to give away that item again sometime at an auction. 
uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it, it is a one of a kind of experience, uh, and the peek behind the curtains that we like to give you sometimes with shows. We actually had this great promotion uh, for Michael's auction item. Uh, the the experience with him, we we had it just just a really good push for it, and and it was very exciting, and then. Uh, we, I showed up to the auction room, I think it was either the first day or the second, and, and Teresa had told someone, you know, get those bids in before, before Saturday afternoon at noon, and I was like, what is, what are you talking about? I, I was just on the auction site the night before, and it said it was lasting through, through August 18th, I think, and she was mm-hmm. like, oh no, that was a mistake. I'm like, well... <laughs> You should probably change it then, because there there could be a whole bunch of people out there who were who were planning on bidding all the way through the 18th and are going to end up finding out that uh, that's not the reality. So mm-hmm. uh, then it got changed, and it's like, okay, well, we release on, on Fridays, and so uh, for most of the people who listen, it probably end up being too late. So... Uh, just it's it, it uh it, it I'm I'm still happy that it did it as well as it did. So yeah, yeah, me too. And then I want to thank the listeners who donated auction items in memory of my wife Carol Bowling. That was just meant so much to me, and I'll be reaching out to those folks, but um, to personally thank them. But uh, it, it just it, I just want to thank you. I, that was so unexpected and. You know, my fa- it, I shared that with my family, and it, it meant so much to all of us. Oh yeah, that, that, that you know, folks would do something as thoughtful as that. Yeah, and I I do know I do know the winner of it, so I need uh-huh. to share that with you, uh, okay. off off the air here. But um, it just it's it's someone I believe you've met her before too. I don't I don't want to go. Dropping names or anything, but uh, okay. awesome, generous donation in memory of Carol. I, I believe it went for somewhere around a hundred, ten, hundred five dollars, some somewhere in that area. So yeah, really. And there awesome. were two, there were two items. There were two mm-hmm. different things donated too. So that was yeah. nice. So all right, and also I wanted to thank folks for all the birthday greetings that that you gave me. I I truly appreciate it. And um, Craig very kindly posted it when he put up the show mm-hmm. on social media. So thank you, Craig. And no one's safe. <laughs> oh, I finally saw Spider-Man Far From Home. And then on my birthday, I saw The Lion King. Boy, when nice. you go to a Monday um, afternoon, you know, early afternoon showing of a film, you pretty much have the theater to yourself. So. Yeah, no, and uh, at least for Lion King, it's it's been out a little bit, so then mm-hmm. then you get you get that also added in too. So uh, you had a nice, uh, nice, nice, pleasant private experience. So oh, close to it, there are only two other families in there. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I'm sure they were quiet, hopefully, and respectful. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really enjoyed Spider Man Far From Home. It, it, so th- that's a good series. Yeah, I not, like that. So you just you just jumped away from Lion King, though. Yeah, and Lion King um, visually, it is stunning. It is gorgeous. Um, you know, story wise, it was fine. 
I think I could have done without the the animals breaking into song because this was so nature realistic, the CG animation, that it it just it just didn't seem right for them to go into song. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like it it would have been hard for a sequence like Hakuna Matata that you like you need them to sing. It didn't look that that realistic with it, but like they could have dropped completely be, be prepared, which they basically did. Uh, they could have dropped. I just can't wait to be king. Circle of life was just instrumental, so in, mm-hmm. in the singing over everything, like it is in the the original, so that was fine there. Uh, same thing goes with can you feel the love tonight just singing so like i felt like they should have been more picky like they were with jungle book and said okay can you feel the love tonight will work circle of life will work maybe throw in one of the songs from from broadway if it would have fit over and and worked in there but i i see I, i see what you're saying yeah. It also disturbed me as I was watching it thinking, you know, at some point we're going to be able to make re- re- really real looking CG people where we're not going to be able to differentiate them from, you know, like like these elephants and lions look real. Yeah. And, I mean, it's almost like Nat- National Geographic doesn't need to go out to the to Africa anymore. They can just do this and we'll never know. Yeah. But, I mean, just think what you could do in the hands of some of the fairies, because they're also getting really good at um, at, at recreating people's voices. Uh, they're getting better at it, because I've heard samples of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I mean, they could they could cr- create a video and put it out of like the the, you know, the, the pre- pre- president of of north korea or china going on air saying he's declaring war on the united states and we've launched the missiles and make it completely believable and and or create something where it looks like somebody famous is like creating a crime you know and post it out there and it would be really hard for somebody to say hey that's not me or something. I mean, just yeah, the yeah. possibilities, or, or maybe it's not possible. But I just sat there thinking, this is so realistic; it's disturbing. Yeah, no, it's uh, there's a there's definitely a scary element to it. I mm-hmm. will say that. So, uh, you know, it's for the, for the most part with what they've done with animating eyes and stuff, or animated humans, they still struggle with the eyes. So as long as they keep keep screwing that up then at least we uh don't have to be completely terrified yet but yeah maybe but one they're day get, they're getting there yeah. they're getting there so i want to let folks know uh the disney discussions podcast with tony sparrow and stitch they are continuing i think they've completed now their star wars series they part three aired this week and is available um it's this time it's all about galaxy's edge and i haven't listened to it yet but Craig and I are on, I think, at about the one-hour mark because they they list uh, on their show notes. They list sort of where everybody is. But listen to the whole episode because they are very entertaining and always interesting. And the other uh, hosts of shows that they have on are also very good. And you and you might find another um, uh, another podcast that you enjoy, although not as much as ours. <laughs> anyway, so that's episode 45. 
of the Disney Discussions podcast. And we, we, we hope to be back on with Tony Sparrow and Stitch again soon. So anyway, uh, just a reminder, the Carrollwood Society's 2019 meeting is coming up on Friday, September 27th, 2019. Uh, they are honoring Tony Baxter, who is going to talk about all his work on the Big Thunder Mountain Railroads at Disneyland, Walt Disney World, and Disneyland Paris. This is at 10 a.m. on September 27th at the AMC Disney Springs 24 Theater at Walt Disney World. And so we will once again in our show notes have a link to that site so you can get your tickets and uh, Craig had said a couple weeks ago how there's all kinds of stuff happening that weekend at Walt Disney World so um, it's a busy weekend yeah so this would be a, a good way to kick off that weekend so Craig did you see that article that made the rounds on the interwebs titled has bob Iger done better for disney than walt disney himself i did not but that's bonkers yeah it was on inside the magic that was in my early days of listening to shows that was what i listened to and then you know after a while i gradually dropped off from it because you know I, I discovered other podcasts. I, the Diz was the very first one I started listening to. And, you know, then it, it just, um, you know, how sometimes you, you only have enough hours, a certain number of hours in a day devoted to listening to podcasts. But, yeah, it, and, the, and the thing about the article, it was very controversial. People on Twitter were unsubscribing from them because they were, they disagreed so much. And I, I didn't go that far. But it was, you know, the article talked about, you know, all the great things Bob Iger's done, you know, purchasing all these franchises and expanding parks and you know, the the big mega hits and all of that. But what the article never did was talk about Walt Disney and what he did. And <laughs> you know, and 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 actually make the argument, you know, the comparison. And I thought, well, where's your argument in all this? Yeah, Bob Iger did a whole lot, but sort of everything he did built on what Walt Disney created. What Walt Disney did was the foundation, is the foundation for everything else that has come after. Hence the name of our show, Connecting with Walt. Exactly. (laughs) So I don't think that this article... um, carried through with its uh you know its intended message i don't think it was i don't think it was well written i guess Uh, and i apologize if i'm being unkind Mm -hmm. but you know i i wouldn't unsubscribe from them for this but you know i don't think they're going to get any journalistic awards for it so anyway but we'll have a link to the article in the show notes if you want to read it for yourself Disneylanders recently celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Haunted Mansion. In today's episode, we are going to talk about one of Walt Disney's original Imagineers who worked on that attraction, Claude Coates. To talk about the extraordinary career of Claude and his accomplishments, Craig and I are delighted to welcome back Disney historian and author Dave Bossert and the son of Claude Coates and... He followed in his father's footsteps, the Disney Imagineer, Alan Coates. 
Now, Dave began his career at the Walt Disney Studios as an in-betweener in the effects department on The Black Cauldron. He moved up to an effects animator on The Great Mouse Detective, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Oliver and Company, Tommy Trouble, The Little Mermaid, Rollercoaster Rabbit, and The Rescues Down Under. He then became a supervising effects animator on Beauty and the Beast and continued doing effects animation on Aladdin, The Nightmare Before Christmas, The Lion King, Pocahontas, Runaway Brain, and additional effects supervision on The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Hercules before being promoted to visual effects supervisor on Fantasia 2000. He then began working on special projects for the theme parks and was part of the creative team for World of Color and the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train and other attractions at Disney theme parks around the world. And Dave, Dave has authored books on Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, Cam Weber, Mid-Century Furniture Designs for the Disney Studios, Dolly and Destino, and on animator Eric Goldberg and Roy E. Disney. Alan Coates, as I mentioned, followed in his father's footsteps, becoming an Imagineer and worked with his father on designing many of the original Epcot Center pavilions. His mother, Evelyn, met Claude when she was the department head of the ink and paint department when Snow White was in production. Alan met Walt and Roy Disney, knew all of the nine old men, and, and wow, his baby photos are taken by Imagineer Yale Gracie. I wonder if there are any special effects Yale put in there, you know. Um, <laughs> Alan started his career with Disney and ride operations at Disneyland before moving into Imagineering at WED and show installation at Walt Disney World. He also worked in story and production at the Walt Disney Studio. Dave and Alan recently launched an Indiegogo campaign to write a biography about Claude Coates, and we are delighted to have them on the show to talk about Disney legend Claude Coates and their Indiegogo campaign. Dave and Alan, welcome to Connecting with Walt. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having us on. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Michael and Craig. It's a pleasure to be with you. The pleasure's oh. all ours. Oh, absolutely. So, guys, first of all, tell our listeners, we have we have really young listeners as well as, you know, old codgers like myself and everyone in between. Uh, so they might not be familiar with Claude Coates. T- tell us who was Claude Coates. Well, shall I tell, tell them who Claude Coates was? He was my father, of course. And uh, he began an animation. Uh, he was he was very fortunate to. Uh, be hired as an assistant background artist in 1935 and he began working on Mickey Mouse and Pluto cartoons and the, his star rose quickly and he did the uh, there was a wonderful early short film called The Old Mill if you remember that film that won the Academy Award it had such mood, it had such color and effects Claude added so much to that and use the multiplane camera to really begin true animation that we saw in Snow White and Pinocchio. So he was very much in the forefront of, of Disney animation in the mid and late 30s. Alan, I, I uh, also add, uh, add to that, that really when you look at um, the old mill, uh, the old mill is not only a background picture, it's a special effects picture. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, 
you really have to look at that picture first and foremost for the backgrounds and what Claude Coates did in that short, which won an Academy Award, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the techniques that they did in the old mill were then applied to Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, which was, the, of course, the first feature, not only from Disney, but the first feature to be done on a multiplane camera. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And Dad said... This is the way to evoke an emotional response from a background painting, because in both the Old Mill and in uh, Snow White and in Pinocchio and Fantasia, the background paintings and Dad's color styling as well. He also styled those pictures and he gave them that impact that made so much importance to the audience when they when they saw these on the screen. And it really was Claude's uh, skill and artistry in backgrounds and and the way he was able to use the background to evoke emotion and tell the story that really carried him through his whole career because he applied that to everything he worked on, whether it was a theme park attraction or a film. Yes, absolutely. The one thing I do want to point out here is, is that he had architectural training uh, when he was in college. So he he had gotten a degree in architecture from it was USC, right, Alan? Yeah, USC, that's yeah, correct. USC out here in Los Angeles, and and, and that really uh, Marty Scalar, who who had run Imagineering for many years, said to us in an interview that 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 was one of the real key things about Claude was that. He had that architectural training, and he was a masterful painter. And you put those together, and he really made the perfect Imagineer because he could visualize the three-dimensional spaces. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's now, a good point. Now, I know Claude started his career as a watercolor artist. He was a member of the California Watercolor Society. Now, other Disney artists got their start in watercolor, like Tyrus Wong, Mary Blair, and they were members of the society. Did Claude associate with them during this time, or was it only later during, um, you know, his Disney career did he meet them? No, he met them before his Disney career. Uh, He knew so many of the great watercolorists who who were part of the California style in the early Mm -hmm. 30s. And uh, Miller Cheats and uh, and uh, some of the other great great ones and and uh, and Lee Blair, mm-hmm. Mary Blair's husband, but uh, it was Phil Dyke who was at the time the president of the Watercolor Society. He worked for Disney in the background department, and he said, "Claude, I think you should put a portfolio together. I think." You could become a background artist. And at first, Claude said, well, I don't know anything about animated cartoons. I don't know if I could do that. And Phil said, go look at as many cartoons as you can in the theater and just figure it out. Dad put a portfolio together, went in the door at Hyperion, the old Disney original studio, Hyperion Studio, Mm -hmm. and he just got hired just like that. And this was in the middle of the Depression, so he was hired for $16 a week. 
and <laughs> and he began his career. It was uh, he was the right person at the right place at the right mm-hmm. time, both in animation and in Imagineering. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. and, and, and by the way, I guys, I I want to point out the fact that uh, Claude was working over at MGM as an an assistant art director mm-hmm. and was being paid much more at MGM. Yes. But he he wanted to go and work over at Disney, even though he was stepping down in what he was being paid. And what was the reason for that? Well, Dad, and and there were other Disney artists who also worked in Hollywood's largest art department, the MGM art department. And they didn't want to be film art directors. They, they They were artists, and they thought Walt Disney would give them the opportunity to use their art ability and to be able to finally see it on the screen. And I think they thought there's something to this animation business that's going to be big someday, and we want to be a part of it. We don't want to be uh, just doing film design the rest of our careers. We want to do is want to be in this new art form, animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know when I was reading about Claude's interview, and he interviewed with Walt in 1935. What impressed me about him is Claude went in, as you said, with his backgrounds and background samples and explained to Walt how he could apply all of this to cartoons. He went in with a plan telling Walt how he could help improve (laughs) cartoons and animation. I mean, that must have really impressed Walt. It did. I, uh, you know, Walt didn't like yes men. I mean, if you know, if you said Walt, I think you know this is a w- another way to go. You'd never say no. You'd say yes, but <laughs> never yeah. no. You know, he always always be positive with Walt, and he listened to you. And Dad was a positive guy. He always came up with good ideas. He and Walt, I think, were very close and got along very well, both in animation and Imagineering. And uh, so what you just said was probably true. I wasn't there, but if that's what Dad said, I guess I guess that happened. Yeah. Now the now you, you bring up you bring up something interesting. I was wondering about because you know in the early days of the studio, the a lot of the artists and the animators were really boist. They had boisterous personalities, really outgoing. You know enjoyed attention everything i read about your father was that he was gentle sensitive thoughtful reason collaborative generous with his time so how did he as a as a quieter man how did he gain the notice of walt disney i think through through his art right Mm -hmm. i mean honestly certainly his art talent walt saw that that was there and he knew he had he had found a, a really amazing artist and someone who could do styling too who got the idea that each film needed to be a little different look have a different look because they were based on different stories with different characters so he understood that and he never let his backgrounds overpower the animation animation characters he understood he i think he told me the most important thing is the story the second most important thing are the characters the third most important thing is my background paintings that support Mm -hmm. all that so he saw the balance there walt appreciated that Mm -hmm. and um i can tell you a a great story about uh, uh, something he created in another short film ferdinand the bull Mm -hmm. 
it was supposed to be in Spain. And Dad came up with a way of making it look like heat was coming off the screen. There was so much brilliant light in those backgrounds that Walt would never give personal upfront uh, uh, congratulations or anything. But when Dad wasn't there, he told somebody, he said, get the boys together. I want them to see this. This is really good. (laughs) So, uh, you know, he really appreciated Dad's abilities to create uh, incredible images on the screen. And then later in in the Mercy of Attractions in the theme parks, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Michael, one thing I wanted to mention uh, to, to you and the audience uh, and to Craig is uh, I knew Claude. I had met Claude at Imagineering early in my career at Disney. Mm-hmm. And and got to talk with him uh, on a regular basis in the commissary over at Imagineering because we were both morning people, and and he would always come in and get a black uh, cup uh, a cup of black coffee and a donut, uh, <laughs> and and I usually was getting a cup of tea and and something to eat for breakfast, you know. But but we would we would talk a couple times a week over the course of a year and a half, almost two years before he retired. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I'm telling you guys that because this leads into how I met Alan um, about three years ago. Alan and I were at a historians conference, a Disney historians conference in Los Angeles, and. I was walking into the ballroom. Alan was walking out past me and he saw my name tag and he says, Dave Bossard, I just bought your Dolly and Disney book at Barnes and Nobles. <laughs> and I, I, I smiled and said, thank you. And I looked at his name tag as he walked by and it said, Alan Coates. And I said, that's got to be Claude's son. <laughs> and at the morning break, I went to find him and got told that Alan had gone home not feeling well. Yeah. And, and, and so a mutual friend of ours put us together and we met at the Talleyrand at Burbank for lunch. And by the end of that lunch, Alan was saying, well, how about doing a book on my father? Uh, and I said, sure, let's do it. You know, because I thought it would be a slam dunk. I would have too, when you for you because you mentioned it on our show a while yeah. back, and I thought it would have been too. And and so we were we were disappointed and we were frustrated because we pitched we did really I think great pitches we we pitched it three times to publishers and they each time came back and said he doesn't have enough name recognition. You know, and 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 just so your audience knows, in the publishing world, oftentimes it's the salesman, the sales team Mm -hmm. at the publishing house that says yay or nay on books, because (laughs) they are the ones that have to go out and sell the book, and so that you have some people who who aren't steeped in the company history, don't know the legacy, don't know some of these people who helped build the company. 
And and so they sit there and go, no, I, I want another Star Wars book or I want another, you know, Marvel book that I know is going to sell 100,000 copies, you know. And uh, and so we got turned down three times. And that's when I suggested to Alan, why don't we do an Indiegogo uh, campaign? And part of this, uh, just so you guys know, is to really see if the fan community will rally around us doing a book. And that's and that's really the purpose of this. You know, I know that I can write the book. I know Alan's going to be a big part of that mm-hmm. and, and is going to be one of the editors, essentially, on the book. And, and he's going to write the introduction. But over the last couple of years, we were doing interviews with all sorts of people that knew Claude. Uh, he mentored Tony Baxter. We did some extensive interviews with Tony Baxter. Uh, we did one of the last known interviews with Marty Scalar. Uh, we, we spent an afternoon over at Marty's home with him, uh, talking all about Claude. And so we've been doing a ton of interviews with, with, uh, retired Imagineers and folks that knew Claude uh, and gathering all of our our research material together, uh, but we really need to go out to the fan community and say, "Do you guys want this book? And if you do, will you pre-order it?" Yeah, and, and, and that's really what the campaign is all about. I mean, we we want the fans to say what books should be made. We don't want somebody who didn't know. Claude or didn't know what Claude's contributions to the company were and to to the making of Disneyland. Um, So that's kind of how I wanted to kind of put that out there so you guys knew how this whole project came together. And and by the way, it's it's not really much different than my Ken Weber book. You Mm -hmm. know, I knew from the outset, my, my agent told me the Ken Weber furniture book was a niche topic that probably nobody would want to publish, you know? And, and I said, well, tough. I want to go do it. And, and, and you have a copy of it, I'm sure. I do. Absolutely. Yeah. And you were on the show and talked about it. That's and, right. yeah. and you were, you talked, this is the right audience because we had a lot of listeners say, we went out and bought that book and it was fantastic. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, Alan and I are going to produce a gorgeous book that is a piece of art that's worthy of celebrating Alan's father, Claude Coates. And that's what we want to do with this. And that's why we're going out and, and hitting all of the, the shows that, uh, you know, that the Disney fans listen to because, you know, we, we need their help. Mm-hmm. Well, the folks that listen to this show, well, they've already heard they they they've already heard us speak of Claude, and I think they will get behind this book because they love Disney history and they love hearing and reading stories about the people that made Walt's dreams come true. And Claude was a huge part of that. Absolutely, so. absolutely. Yeah. Now, and you, you, oh, go ahead, Alan. Are you oh, going to say something? I was just saying. I interacted with that huge fan base that's out there. I was with them over last weekend at the Walt Disney, uh, uh, at the Disneyland Resort in Anaheim when they had the 50th anniversary celebrations Mm -hmm. for the Haunted Mansion. And I call it Mansion Con because there were so (laughs) many people there in costume. And the point here is, of course they knew Claude Coates. They saw a name tag. They said, are you Claude Coates' son? And they said, 
oh my gosh, you know, he's one of my heroes. I get this. Uh, this is true. I just get this so much. And people have a- actually said, can I shake your hand? Could, would you sign my book? And all this. I said, well, thank you very much. I, I, I really appreciate this. So I've interacted with these people. And last weekend was a huge, a huge weekend for dads. One of his two most incredible, of course, the mansion and the and the pirates, and maybe it's the mansion. These people are fanatics. About oh, they that. are. They are. And and they, they, they just love Claude. And I, of course, I say in, in presentations, it's not just one person that did this. You know, he was the lead Imagineer on this, but there were many other people that I knew and worked with that brought made this all happen. So we're not saying that Claude Coates invented the world here but he was the major driving force i would say to make to make this happen absolutely you know and you brought uh, dave you brought up marty scalar and i know he once said that claude was the master of designing ride layouts especially when the footprint for the attraction was very confined Yes. And, and you know something, when, when, when I think of Claude Coates, one of the things, and I, and I talked to Alan about this very early on at that first lunch we had, um, it was really about Claude being able to take um, one of these classic movies like Alice in Wonderland or Toad Hall from Wind in the Willows uh, or Peter Pan. And he was able to create an immersive experience. You got to realize, you know, Claude and the other Imagineers early on working with Walt, they were inventing this stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they were inventing immersive rides where the audience becomes part of the story. Uh, and you know what? What better uh, uh, attraction than than uh, Haunted Mansion or Pirates or Alice or Toad Hall or Peter Pan? You you become part of that story. You're immersed in that world, uh, mm-hmm. and and that's the genius behind all of these Imagineers. Uh, you know, but it started with that original group. That was the group that was uh, that was inventing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and on a previous episode, I talked about how Claude pioneered the technique of using fluorescent paint under blacklight on an attraction to give it dimensionality. That um, that had really never been done before because most um, dark ride attractions are sort of lit with incandescent lights. Yes, or very little light at all. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so, and, okay, you have to tell the story. One of my favorite attractions when I was a boy was Disneyland's Mind Train Through Nature's Wonderland with the amazing colored pools of rainbow caverns and the colored waterfalls. And it was Claude who who created this effect. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that. that So many people don't remember that because it's been gone for so many years. That was Dad's first major incredible immersive attraction and i think it really put a feather in his cap in walt's eyes because you were totally immersed in this this place of color and music and sound and swirling pools of water and geysers and waterfalls and the train would wind its way through this and on a hot summer day when you were in that those cool caverns seeing all this color and moving water it was just really an incredible experience. I wish it was still there. I do too. And I I just was amazed how he um, 
you know, when he was trying to get the separate colored waterfalls to stay in the separate pools, yes. and you know, they splashed, and the folks told him, "Oh, it's impossible to keep them yes. separate," yeah. and 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 then and Claude told this to Walt Natson, Walt. One of the times Walt said it's kind of fun to do the impossible. Yes. And yeah. and Claude did it. Yes. He did, he did. the impossible. He figured yes. out how to do that effect. Yes. He was told by, by experts that you can't separate all these fluorescent watercolors. They're gonna mix together. It'll all be gray in a week. And he said, Oh yeah, well let's see about that. And he made it work. He did create the impossible and uh it, it, it took maintenance. It wasn't easy to keep that going, but it, it went for many years and it, was, it worked and he was able to make that happen. So he was a determined man. He was like Walt. When there was a problem or when there was a challenge, he figured out a way. Yes. I think people like to work for him. And Blaine Gibson, the sculptor who sculpted all these wonderful figures, he once said, we love to work with Claude because we knew he he had exactly what we needed to do. He had exactly in mind what he wanted, and he what he was such a nice, basically gentle guy. People wanted to please him and work with him, and he was involved from the very beginning concepts through the construction, the installation, pre operations. To maintenance, he was there with his hard hat on and involved in every part of that attraction. And, and you know, I was going to interject here, Alan, that you know, your your dad was not only uh, a gentle individual; he was highly collaborative. He he folded everyone in. He wanted everyone to be a part, and he was part of a team. He knew he was part of a team. Yes, uh, and, and and I can tell you from personal experience on working on some of the attractions at the parks around the world that you know when you get involved with uh, doing an attraction, you're you're dealing with engineers, uh, ride vehicle specialists, projection specialists. You're dealing with construction people, electricians, plumbing. You name it. You, all of these people are coming together as one big team to do this new immersive ride or yes. whatever the yes. attraction is. And Marty Sklar that we interviewed says that in our Indiegogo campaign video that Claude was able to, he couldn't think of anyone who could generate so immediately so much energy with so many people to get something off the ground and then start to make it happen. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and, and, and Michael, he was an imposing figure. I, I, you know, I, I don't know uh, if you look at the Indiegogo page, there's a wonderful photo of him standing next to Baloo and yeah. you can see how tall he is. Well, he was what? Was he six, four? No, he was six, 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 six. Okay. Six, six. Yes. Wow. So Alan, how tall are you? Well, I used to be <laughs> six, three. I have shrunk oh, to six, two now. Yeah. In my later years, but uh, <laughs> he's still taller than you're me. You're a tall man. Still you're taller tall than man. me. <laughs> I, I have to ask you about uh, some of my favorite stories of Claude. Uh, I, I've shared these on the show, but you might have some insights into them. Uh, the Grand Canyon diorama, that amazing diorama that Claude yes. created, and and he went out and it was if I uh, if the story that I heard is true, he he decided. 
that the the railroad Disney Railroad needed something more interesting, and he came up with the whole concept of the diorama. And then, as he was, he also did models and all that. And he, as he was doing the models in the last scene, there were turkeys. And Walt insisted there were no turkeys. And they went back and forth and back and forth on this. Yeah, yeah. He and Walt had, you know, you know, Walt said, what are these here, Claude? And he said, well, they're wild turkeys. They have wild turkeys in the Grand Canyon. I don't know why Walt would get fixated on something. He was kind of like a kid. And he said, no, there aren't any wild turkeys in the Grand Canyon. And Claude said, yes, Walt, there are. I was there. In fact, I just called the naturalist at the museum and the flocks are on the increase. (laughs) So Walt just stood there and a guest came in to the office just then. And Walt turned and said, hey, did you know there were wild turkeys in the Grand Canyon? (laughs) So... Dad convinced him, and Walt, from that point on, he said, okay, Claude, there are wild turkeys, and they're still there today in the Grand Canyon diorama. I'm glad you mentioned that, because a lot of people forget that that Dad created that that diorama, and that's when they had to add the third train, the excursion train, on the line there at Disneyland for the extra capacity for that new attraction. Yeah, and he was uh, Craig for me and Craig. One of our favorite Fantasyland attractions is the Alice in Wonderland attraction. Mm-hmm. And your dad was the show designer for yes. that one. Yes, that's right. He was. Yeah. He, he had yeah. worked on the animated film. He worked on the film. Yeah, and that was the fourth Fantasyland dark ride. It opened three years later after the after the first three happened and uh it was quite elaborate uh and dad was the major creative designer on that attraction not only the attraction but the ride vehicle he actually got a patent for designing that ride vehicle the caterpillar character mm-hmm. uh that was his design and uh he took out a patent on it and then so the legal people came to his office one day and said claude you got to sell that back to the studio. <laughs> so they gave him 10 bucks and he said, okay, you could have the, the patent. <laughs> That's funny. $10. Yeah. The reason why they need to do a book on this guy. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. Cause he had, a, I think he'd originally designed the ride vehicles to be playing cards. You're absolutely right. Um, they were the, they were the marching playing cards from the end of Alice in Wonderland and that's what he thought would make a good ride vehicle. And Walt said, no, nah, I, I don't really like that, Claude. Let, let, try a Caterpillar. Mm-hmm. And so Dad did. And I think it came out much better. It was more organic. It fit the, the theme of Alice in Wonderland. And you felt more comfortable in it. The cards were too sharp and hard. And, you know, the cards weren't in the ride. So they wouldn't. <laughs> people wouldn't know what they were. So yeah. dad, dad was glad here that Walt could see the bigger picture. And he said, no, Claude, do a caterpillar. Claude did it and it worked. And and it's a classic attraction. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, Pirates of the Caribbean was the last attraction Walt really worked on with. And, yes. and so um, how... How did uh, tell us how what what do you remember of your dad working on pirates? 
I actually began a little bit on pirates in, in the early sixties ah, when okay. I started in the model shop at, at after I left Disneyland, I started in the model shop on working on some of the pirate clay pirate figures. And so, and then I left the company for a while and, and, um, uh, I came back and forth and sort of watched it become, become what it was. But like so many people, I took the first one of the first rides and I just was totally blown away. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just the most incredible thing I'd ever seen. I, I still remember when you come out of the cave and you see this battle going on in this huge space. It was just like you were in another world. I was so impressed. I think uh, that's one of the best reveals on any yes, attraction. Yes. There you go. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a reveal. Because you don't know what you're going to see until all of a sudden, wow, <laughs> this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Alan and the family have some wonderful pictures of Claude and Walt and some of the other Imagineers uh, riding the uh, – they were testing – the ride vehicles um, uh, for pirates, uh, and and it's really pretty wonderful to see uh, that there's a number of pictures where they're in different positions, different seats in the in, in the uh, the ride vehicle as it's coming down. Uh, you know, a dip that was uh, made in a parking lot. You know, yeah. that's great. I, I would imagine your book is going to have photos that like nobody has ever seen before absolutely that's right yeah the the family's got some wonderful photos some early photos of claude um you know and and even though we're kind of focusing on sort of the making of disneyland that sort of first 15 years uh uh we are you know going to open the book giving sort of the background uh information on uh claude you know, uh, how he grew up, where he grew up, uh, you know, his artistic training and all of that. We, th- we feel that's a, you know, an important part of the foundation and why he successfully crossed out of the animation department and into Imagineering. Mm-hmm. Oh, good, good. That will be, it'll be fascinating. Um, so how did Walt's passing in 1966 affect Claude and, and his work? Uh, well, you know, like everyone knows, it was really, it was a shock and that, uh, I think everyone realized some people said, well, I guess that's it. We're just going to go home and they're going to close the company without Walt. We, how can we carry on? Well, that was, of course, that's ridiculous. These people had worked with Walt. They knew what how to proceed without him and they did they just had to carry on and that's what happened um and and haunted mansion was one of the the first major attractions to open down at disneyland after walt had passed away it was the first major attraction to be done without walt disney's final approval but there was one other interesting attraction remember adventure through inner space that is on my list because that was one of my favorites as a boy i mean (laughs) the effect was so good people really believed that you shrunk down and, and yes. they they were looking for guests in the queue who yeah. as they went through that little tube in the mighty microscope going up in the omnimovers. And that was the first omnimover um 
attraction it, too. It, it was. That was the first Omni mover that that uh, came out of the uh, uh, the people mover system that was created for the World's Fair. But actually, that that was the last attraction that Walt had anything to do with. He had passed away when it opened, but he that was the last attraction that he actually had any uh, direct input on. After the, the Pirates, there was Inner Space that opened a few months later, and then Walt was gone, and his influence directly was gone, but not, it was always under underlying what these guys and gals did to make things happen. Walt's influence was so strong, they weren't going to give up. They knew what to do, and they and they just kept going. And the mansion is proof of that, as, as difficult as it was, and they were never sure. Is it going to be a fright house? Is it going to really be scary? Is it going to be kind of fun and humorous? And, and how is it going to work? And and Dad said he thinks it worked fine. It all came together as well as 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 they could make it happen. And they and it is it is a bit spooky. I mean, yeah. Claude, Claude is uh, is credited with that first half of the ride being a little bit more on the spooky side and scary side, uh, and then you get into a, a little bit more of the uh, the the fun spooky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a good melding of the two together. It, it yep. makes makes it safe for the little kids, but it's enough of a thrill for the adults. You know? Yes, yeah. and people like to be scared and. and they want to know that they've prevailed and they've gotten through horror and uh, and it ended up being actually kind of fun and we want to do it again. So yeah. it works on so many different levels and it works for the overlay too, right, Dave? It's adaptable mm-hmm. for other other events. Absolutely, and I and I think the the most brilliant thing they did down at Disneyland was to do the Nightmare Before Christmas overlay uh, onto onto the Haunted Mansion, uh, and they do that every year. I, I wish they'd expand it to Orlando. Oh, so do the folks in Walt Disney World. I've, <laughs> have you seen the Tokyo Disneyland? No, version? I have. I have it, not seen it, that version. It, it it gives you an idea of what it could be like in Orlando because yeah. that they have the Orlando version pretty much. Okay. The Haunted Mansion. It is spectacular. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah. It's I mean, you know, but, you know, again, Michael, just getting back to the fact that, you know, uh, Claude uh, touched so many of these iconic attractions uh, that have then been translated to parks around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Alan and I, you know, again, uh, we're, we don't give up easily. You know, and uh, and so you know, if if we couldn't get the traditional publishers to do it, we're we're just going to go do it ourselves, and we're going to do it with an awful lot of love. Uh, and, and you know, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna you know not do something because it's a few pennies more per book. Uh, we're going to do it because we want it to be a lavish volume uh, that people will treasure. Uh, and will you know it's not so much a biography as it is a you know it's capturing that first 15 years or so of Disneyland uh, the making of Disneyland and and, and 
getting clawed out there. Uh, the hope is, is that this book will do well enough that we might be able to then collaborate on one that's specific to his animation backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of my favorite classic animated films is Pinocchio. Yeah, and, that's mine. And, and when you look at the backgrounds that Claude painted in Geppetto's workshop, I mean, they're just jaw-dropping. They're stunning. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy was a master watercolorist, uh, and uh, and to to be able to examine his backgrounds for you know all of his, all the animated films he worked on, I think would be a real treat for people. Absolutely, absolutely, especially the people that love those classic films. Yes, and, yeah, and which, also, is all, which is all of us. Come on, it's all. Yeah. Yes, and, <laughs> and also this. The title of this book says "and beyond." We we also now we we, we want to go to Florida too because Claude was so influential in the creation of Walt Disney World, the Magic Kingdom there, and Epcot, and 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 then beyond that to Tokyo Disneyland too. So these are opportunities for other books as well mm-hmm. to. Uh, flush out a career of more than 54 years that's a very long time to be creating uh, uh, so uh, there's a big story to tell there absolutely because he worked again on some of my favorite attractions of Walt Disney World the Mickey Mouse Review I've talked about that so many times and I've seen it in in, in Florida and Tokyo but if you had wings another one uh, uh, yes. that was one of Craig's favorites Um uh, <laughs> Universe of Energy, the original, Horizons, World of Motion, yes. which people just miss those pavilions so much. Yes. And you and Alan, you worked with your father on, on some of the early Epcot pavilions. What was it like to collaborate I, with your father? I sure did. I worked with him on the transportation pavilion. We went back to Detroit together to GM. We uh, we talked to people. We we drove through the test track. It was so much fun that day with Bob Gurr, the the uh, <laughs> the uh, the uh, Imagineer who designs all the vehicles. We had a great time there doing that. And uh, I did work with with Dad on that. And also on the World Showcase, I was involved in uh, attractions with Dad on that. And you mentioned if you had wings. The uh, the show that we did in Tomorrowland for Eastern Airlines, which was that was the first new attraction to open at Walt Disney World after after it opened. That it it came around it came around in the following year, and I worked probably closer with Dad on that attraction than than any other because uh, we traveled the Caribbean, and it was a combination of the documentary film we shot there projected into the sets of the of the attraction and it was an omni mover show mm-hmm. too so and then uh, we i was involved with um, don iwerks in the projection machines that and particularly in the speed room that huge big room do you remember that <laughs> i do remember that yes you were going so <laughs> fast that omni mover tilted backward and you were going through this coved room with the 70 millimeter images that we shot under cranked so they speeded up so fast you were sailing across the florida everglades at 100 miles an hour it was really quite a an emotional immersive experience Mm -hmm. 
It was. You know, it's interesting. After Walt passed, you saw sort of two, for a while, they had two different types of attractions. Your father made, like he did, um, like if you had wings and, uh, uh, you know, Adventures Through Inner Space, which are very rich in environment and mm-hmm. no no characters. And then you had uh, Mark Davis, who did like Country Bear Jamboree, America Sings, mm-hmm. things like that. And very little environment, but very rich in characters. Yes. And I was wondering, you know, it's interesting because it was sort of Walt that was able to bring all that together. Yes. Dad Dad said Walt was a very good casting director. He was able to take people with different artistic abilities and sensibilities, Mm -hmm. like Mark Davis, Claude Coates. They were colleagues, but they had such different abilities. And put those two guys together, and look what you get. Yeah. You get the, the Pirates of the Caribbean with Walt's direction and approval, and then you get... The Haunted Mansion, with which we hope would have been with Walt's approval. I agree. You know, you know, it, as we talk about Claude, and this is only very little of his his career. It is surprising that so little has been written about him. And um, so, tell us more about the Indiegogo campaign, so our listeners know how to sign up. And I know there's different levels. That sure. you can sign up for, yeah. So Michael, uh, Craig, what what we decided to do was uh, go and do an Indiegogo uh, campaign uh, to allow people to pre-order the book, and by pre-ordering the book, it'll allow us to make the book. Okay, and uh, I will tell you that uh, there's a dual reason for doing the campaign, aside from raising the funds so that we can actually print the book because it's expensive to do books. It's even more expensive to do art books. Uh, if you look at my Chem Weber book, you know, it's a heavier paper stock. It had a matte finish to it. We put spot varnish on all the images. You know, again, a lot of these things are things that would fall away because they add pennies and dollars to making books. Um, and we're doing this uh, really Uh, as a passion project. But the other reason to do the campaign is we want to know that there's an audience there. You know, Mm -hmm. we want to know that there are people out there that say, yes, I'm willing to pay 40 bucks in advance to get this book. Uh, And, you know, and I put it in context, that's what, five or six lattes or frappuccinos. and you got this beautiful book that's going to be a treasure. Um, and, and so we really need to, to see that there's an audience who wants this book, you know, and I, and I believe there is Alan believes there is, um, I, I don't want to get to the end of the campaign, which is September 26th and find that we didn't meet our goal and we're going to have to return the money to people Mm -hmm. and not do the book. Because I think Claude is one of those titans uh, on the Walt Disney Company timeline. He worked for the company for 54 years, more than half a century. Worked directly with Walt Disney in seeing his vision for Disneyland come to fruition. And, you know, in my mind, uh, there's no reason on God's good earth 
that <laughs> there should be a book by him. But, you know, the company has gotten to a place now where, you know, they're plugging numbers into spreadsheets, you know. They're not really looking at the individuals anymore, which is sad, you know. And so for me and for Alan, uh, this is this is you know, we're going out to the fan community and saying, we want to do this book. We want to do a beautiful job in celebrating Claude Coates and putting him forward uh, so that more people know who he is and his contribution to the making of Disneyland, which then spawned all the other parks in the park system around the world. Uh, and and we want we want to know that the people are there. Are you there? And so the very basic uh, 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 item on the campaign is order the book. It's going to be a $50 retail book. We're selling it right now, pre-sales for $40. Now, if people want to spend a little bit more money, you can get an autographed copy of the book. Alan and I will sign that copy of the book and we'll give you a set of Claude Coates note cards. Now, I have to tell you, these are beautiful note cards, Michael, and I have a set of them sitting here someplace. Oh, but, good, because that's what I signed up for. <laughs> yeah, so so the, the, the note cards are these four gorgeous, gorgeous watercolors from 1933. And you can see the guy's massive talent, mm -hmm. you know, literally four years before he actually starts working at Disney, or excuse me, two two or three years before he starts working at Disney, he's in Taos, New Mexico, yeah. doing these beautiful watercolor series. So you can do that, and then it steps up from there. And we're doing G Clay prints. Mm -hmm. uh, we just had somebody do a uh, a donation uh, at the five hundred dollar level uh to get a beautiful g clay of the neva river in uh st petersburg russia mm -hmm. it's it, and you can see all the images on the indiegogo page um and if people go to indiegogo.com and search for walt disney's imagineer claude Coates, they'll find the page mm -hmm. and i'm sure michael you're going to have a link to it up on your absolutely on, on your web page right yeah we'll have um craig will put a link in our show notes directly yeah. to the indiegogo page fantastic right. yeah. and, and so you know there there's choices that people can make um and what i can honestly tell you all is that we're going to do a beautiful, beautiful art book uh, about Claude Coates and the making of Disneyland. And and I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed with that book. No. Oh, no. I, I think based on the books you've already done, Dave, which are yeah. all magnificent, we've had you on to talk about a number of them, um, and, and your subject, Claude, I think this is going to be one of those must-have books for you know a, a real disney fans library yeah and, and you know again I, I mean there's so many of us out there that really enjoy the disney history and understanding and reading about the people that were part of that uh that timeline that that made all of these fantastic films and uh helped to build this you know this theme park world that you know, but prior to Disneyland, there was there was there was no such thing. They invented theme parks, 
Um, you know, there were there were rickety amusement parks prior to Disneyland. You know, and uh, and I think having having this and and seeing some of the early information and some of the early photographs uh, and seeing some of the some of these uh, attractions uh, in their early stages and under construction and stuff like that, I think it's going to be fabulous. Oh, absolutely. And yes. I, I think he is one of the most important Imagineers, one of the most important Disney artists, that it's important that his story be told. You know, you know Imagineer and Disney legend Tony Baxter often, I've heard him often speak of Claude as being his mentor, and that Claude was much more open with young Imagineers and their ideas than mm-hmm. some of the other older imagineers that shall be named uh, remain nameless yes yes they will (laughs) but but if folks have told folks have heard some of my stories they could probably figure it out um but but he but he would work on with them on developing their ideas and even use their ideas and attractions he was working on so his fluent influence has gone well beyond what he worked on he he influenced the next generation of Imagineers. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, he absolutely did. And, and and again, you know, this is a story that needs to be told. And I think once this book goes out, there's going to be other facets of Claude Coates that uh, will will eventually be told as well. Um, I, I mean, he was really a magnificent individual. I mean, just, uh, you know, I, I have to say just on a personal note, I mean, he was I, I, he was a gentle giant, is how I first described him to uh, to Alan. You know, uh, Alan doesn't like like the word giant, but you know what? He was a gentle giant because he was six foot six, and he dressed impeccably. Mm-hmm. He was very very well groomed and uh, and well dressed, and he was soft spoken. But he was focused on you. When you were having a conversation with you, he was he was respectful. He was uh, he was gentle. He you know he was happy to answer questions that you, you know if you had a question about you know the early days, he was always telling stories about some of that stuff if you prompted him. And and I can't think of a nicer man to be able to do a book uh, on. You know. Yeah. And, I, yeah. yeah. I am so excited about this book. Now, once the campaign ends and is successful, what's your timeline? So, what we've told everybody, if you if you read everything in the in the Indiegogo page, we want to release the book, or I should say, we will release the book uh, for October of 2021, which is the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. Oh, perfect! And, yeah, we 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 just thought it was uh, it was uh, appropriate uh to to do to do it then uh and that gives us the 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 time we need and 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 just so you know usually a book from start to finish is roughly 18 months to two years uh because uh it's not just about writing the book it's rewriting the book because if you're a writer it's all about rewriting you're constantly making changes i'll be writing and then i'll be sending chapters to alan and Alan will either tear them apart or give me uh, small notes or whatever. And then I'll go back and I'll rewrite the chapter. And then we'll get to a place where we're both happy with the chapter. And then at some point, once we have a final manuscript, that'll have to go to an editor. And then there'll be notes from the editor. 
And then after that, it'll go to a copy editor. Uh, these are all individual people that have to be paid. Um, and then once once we have a copy edited manuscript, then we have to then engage the designer uh, who's going to design the book and lay out the book. And then there's li potentially licensing fees for some images. Um, there's, there's a lot of moving parts behind the scene. And then once we have a final layout of the book, then we get with our printer and we have to go over what type of paper we're using, what kind of uh, uh, you know uh, print finishes we're going to use, what kind of a cover is it going to be, what the end pages for the book are going to be. Uh, it has to it has to get an ISBN number. It has to get a Library of Congress control number. And by the way, I'm kind of skimming over a lot of stuff mm -hmm. right now. There, there's a lot more things going on in there, uh, but you know there's decisions to be made whether there'll be a dust jacket or is it going to be a you know uh, a beautiful um, uh, three-piece uh, cover like my Oswald book where there's mm -hmm. a canvas spine and the boards or is it going to be you know a beautiful linen with embossing on it I you know these are all things that we have to explore and discuss and uh, lots of things have to be made but that's why it takes a while to get these books finished but i can tell you this it will be done and delivered to people by october of 2021 and we still have to discuss yeah. about the perks because we may send note cards and g clay prints out in advance of the book oh, so okay. people get those first we haven't decided that yet, but you know, I'd be curious. What do you think? Do you, do you think would you like your, your you know the note cards and prints first, or would you prefer to get everything all at once in a box? Oh, I think I think I'd love to get them first. Okay, <laughs> so there you have Quit it. My appetite. Yeah. All right, so, Craig. What about you? I it, it's all good, honestly. <laughs> 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 well, anyway, so like I said, guys, it, you know, there's a tremendous amount that goes into putting a book together, and, and it's not something that we're we're taking lightly. Um, I've been down through the process multiple times, as you've alluded to and mentioned uh, on my previous books, and so you know, Alan and I have talked uh, quite a bit about this, and uh, you know, it's it's process, but at the end of that process, there's going to be an absolute gorgeous book that's all i can say and, and you know again i go back to the weber book that i did as a passion project and and it just gives me so much joy and i smile so much when people say to me the book itself is a work of art it is it's very and, lavish yes and and that you know kem weber deserved that and so does claude coates I, I agree, and that's and the title is Walt Disney's Imagineer, Claude Coates, The Making of Disneyland from Toad Hall to the Haunted Mansion and Beyond. So, so Alan, I'm going to give you the last word on this. What? How do you want our listeners to remember your father? How do I want them to remember my father? Um, oh my gosh. Um, I guess the uh, the impact that he left on uh, not only the attractions and and the and the and the films that he made, but the the, the memories of the people that have talked to me about 
how open he was and helped them in their career paths. And this is true, that so many people have said this, that uh, Claude Coates was my inspiration. I want to put that kind of heart in my work. Uh, my mother used to get fan mail from my father once he passed away. And uh, there's so many people that love the guy. And so uh, it makes me very proud, of course, to be a son and to have worked with him and to see, he, see him interact with people who would just uh, uh, love his work. And uh, he was just a wonderful man, wonderful man. So th that, that's wonderful. Thank you. And so, so listeners, Connecting with Walt family members, go to, go to the link Craig's going to have in our show notes for Walt Disney's Imagineer Claude Coates, The Making of Disneyland from Toad Hall to the Haunted Mansion and beyond. You have until September 26th to pre-order what is going to be a magnificent and very important book in Disney history. So, And Michael, I just want everybody also to know it's up to us. It's up to us, the Disney fan community, to make this happen. Absolutely. So let's make this happen. Let's do that. <laughs> Dave and Alan, thank you so much for being on the show to talk about Claude Coates and for writing this book so that we know his history. And um, because his is a very important story for us to know. Well, Absolutely. Thank you. Th thank you, Michael and Craig. We, it's always a pleasure to come on your show and I appreciate you, you giving us some time to talk about Claude Coates and all of the incredible work he did uh, for more than half a century for the Walt Disney Company. Absolutely. Dave, you have, always have an open invitation. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate show. that. But be, careful, but be careful what you say. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you. Thank you, Michael and Craig. It's a pleasure to meet you both for the first time. It's a pleasure to meet you, Alan. I hope we can have you back on the show again sometime to talk about your career. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Fascinating yeah. stories. <laughs> I, I will be in touch. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and keep us updated. Let me know how the campaign is going so I can share it with our listeners. Absolutely. In fact, um, I have been sending out updates since we launched the campaign, and I will continue to do so. I'm, I'm a little fuzzy as what happens when we, like, if we meet our goal, or if we slightly exceed the goal, it then stays up on the Indiegogo site as a thing called In Demand. Mm -hmm. And so I believe I can then continue to send out the updates. And that's what I, that's my, my goal is to send out updates to people periodically. Uh, not to overwhelm or badger people, but to at least keep it alive so you know, hey, we're still working on this and things are moving along and, you know, hitting milestones and that kind of thing. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I think I've already gotten one or two. So. Good. Oh, good. good. Well, thank you. Uh, and thank looking you. forward to the next time we meet. Thanks, right. guys. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Too. Well, Craig, we uh, that was a fantastic interview with you know with dave bossert and uh -huh. alan coates about the disney theme parks and 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 what you know what claude coates and his contribution he was so important and because claude had so much influence on disneyland walt disney world tokyo disneyland we're going to continue our 
this week in Disney history theme of Disney theme parks. So, and who knows, maybe maybe an attraction Claude worked on will be uh, mentioned. So are you all set for the week of August 18th? I believe I am. All right. Here we go. August 18th. Disneyland's Carnation Plaza Gardens opened on August 18th, 1956. Where was it located and what is there now? Yikes. Okay. Getting off to a good start. Mm-hmm. Um I'm it's its structure is still there at least partially the I mean the the only thing I'm thinking with with gardens is maybe somewhere over by uh where where fantasy fair was like that's the only thing that's I I don't know I I'm not Absol- quite sure on this You're correct you're oh. absolutely correct Carnation Plaza Gardens is in the Plaza Hub next to Sleeping Beauty Castle the Carnation Plaza Gardens was an outdoor bandstand and dining area. It became a popular site for date night at Disneyland the following year. In 2012, Carnation Plaza was closed to make room for the Princess Fantasy Fair area. Hmm. And that's the same grandstand, just redressed. Yeah, that history. Yeah. Love it. Me too. Okay, August 19th. On September 22nd, 2001, oh, I should say, well, it's a, it's a Small World, Astro Orbiter and Hall of Presidents were closed for Frozen and Magic Kingdom. So on August 19th, which Tomorrowland attraction opened seasonally to take up the slack? Ooh, um... Uh, you said two thousand one. Two thousand and one. This is yeah. one. This is an attraction you miss, and you I, hate what replaced it. Yeah. <laughs> I I think well, based on that and just that time period, I would say Timekeeper. You're right. Absolutely correct. The Timekeeper. All right, August twentieth. Two Disneyland Resort parades made their final runs, or at least we thought they were, on August 20th, 2017. Which two parades were they? Well, I would say one of them would be Main Street Electrical Parade. That is correct. A revived Main Street Electrical Parade. Little did we know. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not quite sure what the other one is, though. I, oh, one of your very favorites, because you guys inherited it. The Pixar Play Parade at Disney California Adventure. Uh, yeah. I, it's, you know, what? I actually don't mind the parade, but I, I just always forget about it. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. It, it's just one that doesn't sit with me, but I enjoy it while it's happening. I wonder when the construction's finally done at, at Disney Hollywood Studios if they're going to bring back parades. I don't think so. I think, oh. I mean, I feel like if for at least Walt Disney World, it, I think it's pretty much set in stone now that if it's not, if it's not a Castle Park parade, is not an option. So oh, that's too bad. 
Animal Kingdom's nothing, obviously. Epcot hasn't been anything since years, and, and Hollywood Studios is in the same same boat, except when there's the random cavalcade and such, so uh, it's, yeah, I, I enjoy parades, but I can understand it's why, because you have all the actors, extra money, you know, it, it starts to add up, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, on August 21st, the Muppets roll into Epcot on August 21st, 20, or 2007. On what attraction? Oh, the Muppet Mobile Lab. That's right. Yeah. It features robotic Muppets Dr. Bunsen Honeydew and his able assistant Beaker riding a two-wheeled rocket ship and it interacts with guests at Epcot. Now, the lab is part of a playtest that Walt Disney Imagineering is running for the next few weeks, giving the research and development staff a chance to try out more advanced robotic, interactive, and transportation technologies mixed with human comedy talent. And Muppet. Sorry, go ahead. Now, I thought that was a good use of the Muppets. Yeah, uh, Muppet Mobile Lab is my favorite uh, favorite one that happened out of this initiative. Like, nothing against um, against Lucky, the mm-hmm. dinosaur or anything, but uh, Muppet Mobile Lab is absolutely perfect. And when they brought it back a couple of years ago, like it was, it was one of those things, not having it on the schedule did damper it because there was days where you'd go and wait around for it and it would never come out but anytime you're lucky enough to catch it like it's just it's so fun um it was yeah just so impressive awesome technology Mm -hmm. yeah i wish they would roll that out every once in a while yeah i i don't remember the last time i've seen it in epcot which the sad part is i was like i was hitting it back in i guess i would have been 2017 i think when it when it rolled back in or Maybe even early 2018, but I'm pretty sure 2017. My mind's going at this point now. It all blends <laughs> together. But yeah. like when when it came back, I was seeing it pretty regularly. And then every time I would go with Kylie to try to catch it, we never got to see it. Hmm. So, yeah, I saw it accidentally. I was walking by, and it suddenly rolled out. Yeah, as I got to see it. Yeah. So all right. Well, on August 22nd, 1987, a 10,150-pound cupola is hoisted into place atop a Walt Disney Resort that has been under construction since 1986. What will be the name of this resort? 86-ish. 87... I'm not I'm not positive on this one Did you want to take a guess? I don't even really have a guess no. To be honest with you <laughs> Okay. Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa The resort will open huh. in June 1988 See I thought it opened In like uh, 91 Or so so the dates you were giving me seemed a little too a little too early but opening yeah. in 88 that makes a lot more sense so i don't bother with that resort i don't need to know its history <laughs> oh i like it it's a and to I me it is great. a stop on the way to magic kingdom when you're riding the resort monorail yeah yeah carol and i i forget which restaurant we liked in there 
Uh, What's we, it? We'd go for we'd go for burgers. <laughs> uh, Graham Floridian Cafe. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And we had high tea there before. Uh, high tea is fun. Yeah. Yeah, and we stayed and we stayed in in the DVC villa, and it was beautiful, just <sighs> magnificent. Oh, the no, the villas are are amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. I I will give it that. I love the villas there, and I like the dining. I just don't. The the first time I I got to stay in one of the rooms, it was. It would have been like right in the middle of the room's lifespan, and it was just like, you know, I grew up watching all these Disney specials where people are going to the Grand Floridian, and that's where you stay. And then, you know, we would show up there, but we wouldn't actually stay there. So then, the first time I finally got to go in a room, and it it felt like it felt like a room you'd expect in your grandparents' house because they're basing it off of like a, a Victorian style. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, just to me, it's like, that's not, I don't want to stay at grandma's house. I just. Oh, I, I think I like it because I grew up in San Francisco. Yeah. You know, the old Queen yeah. Anne Victorians and all that. But, oh, and Carol and I ate at Victoria and Albert's. Oh, Still my on my bucket list. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I, I'm so happy we had that opportunity because that was on our bucket list. And, you know, I regret that I'll probably never eat there again, because that's definitely a place you go with your your special someone. And, um, oh, I, I can't rave enough about it and about the service, about everything. It was just amazing. Yeah, one day when, when this whole Diz thing takes off and, <laughs> and I have more money coming into my pockets, maybe. So. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we saved up for it, so definitely. All right, August 23rd, the Walt Disney Imagineers, who are close to completing an attraction in the Magic Kingdom's Fantasyland, place the attraction marquee in place on August 23rd, 2013. What attraction name is on the marquee? I'm hoping that's not a trick question, but in 2013, well, all the other stuff in New Fantasyland already had opened in 2012 so i would hope that would have been seven doors mine train but was it a different name it was a different name because it was a different attraction oh um would have been okay so after maybe also oh uh the the princess hall the yeah fair princess yeah princess fairy tale hall the hall, which is set to open in the fall, will provide guests with opportunities to meet either Cinderella or Rapunzel, and then a third Disney princess that I guess rotates. Yeah, yeah I had to if that, see now that's in my Diz days, so I have to start going through saying what was I doing back in 2013 <laughs> when we weren't doing nine shows, and I spent basically every single day in a park except for Tuesdays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, those are the days. I I remember I remember the day that thing opened up because I left on a on a flight for Pennsylvania like hours after. <laughs> <laughs> okay, finally, August twenty fourth. In addition to the Star Tours attraction at Disney MGM Studios debuted on August twenty fourth, nineteen eighty nine. What was this addition? I was the was the ADAT finally in place? Um, well, it, that's part of something larger. 
But you're in the right track. The the entire exterior? Yeah, the Ewok Village at the entrance to the Star Wars Star Tours attraction. See, my brain was playing with me there. I thought I had seen photos of that without the Adat before. Yeah. So, well, it. I think um, this was its official debut. Everything was done. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, anyway, that's it. You did very well this week. Uh, you kept it on my coast, except the <laughs> you know just missed a couple there, but it's all good. It's all fine. So. Well, you know, I, I, I try to be an equal opportunity yeah. theme park. <laughs> oh, thank you, uh, Quizzer. <laughs> I appreciate it. Right. Well, uh, Craig, this is a great episode, and I hope, listeners, I hope you will support Dave Bossert and, uh, and Alan Coates in getting this book published about, uh, about Claude Coates. Again, we will have a link to the Indiegogo campaign in our show notes, and there's, there's uh, you know, a level for every budget to be yeah. able to support yeah and so. i mean i i know it's it's one of those situations where we we don't want to sit here and and try to sell you on this product but i think it and you know there's we have no financial relationship with them in this it's just it's it's something that i know you have already pre-ordered way before this it's something that i i was planning on and after hearing hearing them talk about it it's basically as soon as we're done recording this i'm gonna go ahead and uh and sign up so i know i'm getting getting my copy hopefully and everything goes goes well with them but you know even even if if you don't think it's up your alley think about the the disney fans that you know that that might not listen to our show or or just you know don't don't listen to podcasts in general that you might be able to open them up to this so uh, don't don't leave it don't leave it at just yourself on this one because it's just taking one look at their indiegogo campaign and and seeing seeing how much work and dedication they're putting into it and hearing it right from their their mouths here with it uh, this is this is something that needs needs to to be made the way that they're they're trying to and hopefully hopefully everything is perfect with it i i agree and this might make a good gift too so mm-hmm. for for the, someone you're wondering oh they're a disney fan they've got everything what can i give them I'll order one for yourself and one for that person yeah so, yeah, yeah. Okay. well Due to Craig and I attending the D23 Expo next week, we will not have a Connecting with Walt show. But you you will probably see us. You know, you'll see us at the Expo. You'll see us at Disneyland. And, Craig, we will be broadcasting from the Expo. Yeah, I don't... Well. I'm not sure still how that uh, looks, to be completely honest. I It's not going to be on the same level as it's at... It was the past year, and probably not even the past convention, and even the last one before that. But uh, it's still we're going to have a presence. So, but it's 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 probably going to be on all spectrums of social media. So make sure you're 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 keeping up with us on on Facebook at either Facebook dot com slash the dot diz or 
facebook.com slash disunplugged. We'll be going live randomly on those two. Uh, kind of the bigger, more important ones will be going live on, on YouTube, uh, you know, especially like after the parks panel and probably after the, the studios panel as well. And any other, any other time we feel like it's, it's bigger, even and potentially at the end of the day, recaps such like that. So, uh, mm-hmm. just, just really keep in, keep an eye on what we're, we're doing follow along with us so it, it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a good time and i'm sorry we don't have a show but uh, you're gonna have enough content <laughs> coming oh, yeah. out of this to, to last you for a long time to make up for the little gap before absolutely and then you know in a future episode of connecting with Walt, we'll, we will talk about the d23 expo uh, potentially 19 well. episodes <laughs> <laughs> leading us so. up to the next round of uh, of destination d probably yeah, that's right. It's all D23 all the time. <laughs> okay. And if you're at the Walt Disney Family Museum on this Saturday, August 17th, keep an eye out for me. I will be there. I'm attending a um, Mary Blair talk, a talk on Mary Blair. So um, so anyway, maybe that's something I, I, I'll share as time goes on. Mm-hmm. So if there's enough content there, or I, a lot of times I add content to other episodes and all that from these talks and stuff. So anyway, so be sure you say hello and all that. So Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can connect with me on any of the shows and I connect with me. You can watch me on any of the shows that I'm on on this, but if you actually want to connect with me, you can do so on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Teleclaster. What about you, Michael? You can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. Uh, check out, especially the one with the Connecting with Walt banner. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at Connecting Walt. And be sure to look for my Disneyland history segments on the Diz Unplugged podcast Disneyland show. I think there's one coming up, Craig, isn't there? Uh, it is just aired two days ago. Oh, right. Well, or, there you go. <laughs> depending on when you listen to it, just this past week. So a oh, very right. good one. Yes. Well, if you have not <laughs> listened to it, um, you should. I think you will enjoy this, especially if you are a fan of the Main Street Electrical Parade. So. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at DisneyUnplugged.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. And Owen Craig always has a link in the show notes to my Disneyland podcast archives, so make it easy for you. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. And we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>